as well. One way or another, we want you to have the Word of God before you. For those in our overflow, those joining us online, just hear the same invitation. We're glad you're joining with us, but fully connect and have a Bible open so that God would speak to you through the power and authority of His Word and that you would hear it from Him. And we long that that would be the reality that all of us are pressing into this morning. And so that's what we're going to seek and ask God for right now. I'm going to lead you in prayer, but I'm hoping you'd pray as well. Let's just ask God to take His Word and what He wants you to hear this morning and that you would hear it from Him. I'll lead, but again, hoping you're praying the same thing. God, right here we are, and we just present ourselves before You as Your Word is before us. Lord, I ask that You would make that to connect. Your Word connecting with each of us now. Lord, give us understanding. Open up our understanding to comprehend what You lay before us. Give us the ability to hear your voice, open up our ears to you, so that in the midst of this time, that both we understand things, but in the midst of it, you would just speak, so that each one of us would hear from you what we needed to hear this morning. Well, that's different around the room. That's different as each one of us gather. But Lord, help us to hear that specific thing that you're having for each of us individually. And may it work good in us. May your word transform us. May your word meet us in a fresh way, in a personal way this morning. We ask for it now, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's been called the Christian bar of soap. Yeah, 1 John 1, 9, that's where we are this morning, and it's a powerful reality. It's a verse that if you don't have it memorized, I will commend it to you in a fresh way this morning. Now, I find myself just thinking about it, and I just kind of walk around this reality. Here's what I know. Uh, You know, we live in this weird world right now that over the last year and a half, you have heard thousands of times wash your hands, like, like wash your hands. And some of you are almost sick of it. And now as we kind of move into like a, another variant and, and people again kind of find themselves, you know, concerned over these whole things, it will only be pressed into us more. Not a bad thing to do, but let me just tie into that for a moment and tell you there's something that's far more serious, far more real than than COVID and any of those realities, and it really is the sickness of sin. It really is what sin is, and and it's pervasive, destructive, destroying nature in all of us. That reality is affecting every one of us, but here is incredible hope that God not only works that in Christ, but He's going to hold before you and I something that He's going to tell us can make us clean. Now again, let's just kind of think this through for just for a second, not trying to get your mind distracted over into the COVID reality, because we'll just touch it and then we'll leave it and we won't be back in case you're like, I hope he wasn't going to talk about this morning. No, I'm not. But I just want you to think, okay, that's what people will think about. I mean, you know, it's like if you could have something to say, okay, if I could be made clean, if I could be made clean where I am personally protected and protecting other people and it worked and it had God's endorsement on it, that would be a really good thing. I mean, people would be like, yes, like that's what I want. And I'm going to tell you that's what God's going to hold before you this morning. He's going to hold something before you that is effective, that is incredibly effective and should be a part of your life in a powerful way. He tells it to us this way. I know that some of you have it memorized. Again, if you don't, you should. Notice with me just verse 9 for a moment. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah, this Christian bar of soap, well, again, it works. It washes clean. Where he says, if we do this, if we confess, he forgives. He cleanses. And he does it in an incredible way. So that's what we want to explore this morning. That's what we want to walk around and seek to just see this in a way that, again, I hope will be effective in your life. Before we dive straight into the text, we ought to begin with just a little bit of a biblical framework, just making sure that we're kind of on the same page, that as we approach a truth like this, that we see it from a lens that is biblical. Now, lots of stuff we could talk about, far deeper than I'm going to talk about, but certainly I hope understood that these things would be things that you would understand. If not, let me just quickly share them with you. For starters, when we think about sin, we need to understand that we were born in sin, that every person in this room, every person in our city, every person on planet earth is a sinner, not just because they've sinned, but because they were born in sin, that we really sin because we're sinners. Now, we are sinners both by nature and choice, and so yes, we choose, but we're born in it. Think about how it gives it to us this way in Ephesians. It says, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were, notice, by nature, children of wrath, just as others. That in one sense, we think about sin that... You're not just a sinner because you've sinned, you sin because you're a sinner, that you were born that way. Nobody had to teach you that. For you parents, you would understand, at least I hope. I mean, nobody has to think, boy, I'm really going to have to work at teaching my kids to sin. You know, just going to really have to teach them to be selfish and self-centered and, you know, to hit somebody else with a toy, because if I don't do that, they're not going to fit in. No, there's, there's an inherent nature that flows out of that, and, and so we're born in sin, and Jesus He's the only cure. He is the only cure, but He is the cure. If you're reading with us in our daily Bible reading, you read yesterday as Jesus on the cross gave up His life, and it says, and then He knew that all things were now accomplished, and He said, it is finished. Three words in the English language that changed the world. Three words that He simply said it's accomplished, fully accomplished, fully paid for. In fact, Hebrews would give it to us this way, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I just can't communicate to you how huge that is. By one offering, by his sacrifice on the cross, he has made perfect forever. He has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. I just want you to hear that because it's incredibly powerful. Jesus paid the whole price. He did the whole thing so that the sickness of sin could be just dealt with. So that if you're born again and you believe in Jesus, thus taking hold of that forgiveness that Jesus gave you, then you're forgiven. Your, your sin, past, present, future, are fully atoned for by Jesus. So he give it to us this way in Acts. Paul's preaching, and he just simply says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things. And he goes on to say all things that the law couldn't fix, that in one sense that nothing else could fix. But here's this reality. We could be forgiven of all. And that reality is yours, so that if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, and you have believed upon him, then you are forgiven. You are forgiven. 
And there is no way, I mean, there's now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. That's never held in that sense to give us. We'll stand before God and it will be entirely because of what he has done. That's a reality that God has called us to embrace, that we are justified, that that is who we are, our standing in him that is forever. That said, well, one of the things that can get confusing is that confession, that is going to be talked about in our verse this morning, it is still a part of the Christian life. That confession, this place where we still confess our sins, is still a part of the Christian life, but maybe one of the big keys that we need to talk about in a couple times this morning is it's not about maintaining salvation, but about maintaining fellowship. It's not about maintaining salvation, it is about maintaining fellowship, and this is really important. Because again, some of you come at it from different angles. Some of you grew up maybe in a Catholic kind of an understanding or one of those places, and you kind of had this place of just, okay, if you don't, you know, you know, kind of deal with those things, you know, if you don't have last rites, if you, you know, if somehow, they, boy, that could be, you know, devastating to your, and it's, and you, and you lived in this place of always feeling that, you know, I might, un, you know, unset my salvation by those realities. It's not the truth. If, if you're really his, you're his. But confession is about fellowship, which is really important because that's what we've been talking about. That's the message of 1 John is that it is about fellowship with God, and it's certainly what we need to see. Well, more on that. We'll come back to it in a moment. But in the midst of trying to understand this, we go at one more level of this. Again, so many things we could say with kind of a biblical framework that we want to see this is that the Bible's really clear how our struggle lays for us as Christians, and it's helpful for us to understand that we have really two natures inside of us right now if you're a follower of Jesus. We have what is called the flesh, or sometimes in the Bible called the old man. We also have what is the spirit, which is also called the new man. That we have in one sense this new person that's made right in Christ, that, is, that wants what's right in Christ, but we have this flesh. And being able to understand that struggle is really helpful. Paul would say it to us this way in Romans. He says, for I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Now, this is important to kind of grab this for you theological people who want to think this through. He's not speaking in the past tense, he's speaking in the present. And he's saying, here's what I know about me right now. I have this flesh. And there's nothing good in that. <laughs> My flesh is bad. There's nothing that good that dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. I, I have this thing that I want to do what's right, but I have this flesh that is the problem. He goes on to say, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Or we might say it differently. So that inward man, that new person that you're made in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, that new person you are, man, it wants to do right. You've been made for righteousness. That new nature you have, it is built for that. It lives for that. But I see another law in my members, he says, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity into the law of sin, which is in my members. I have these two things at work. A wretched man that I am, Paul would say, and most of us could understand that, who will deliver me from this body of death. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind... This inward man, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So there's this new nature that wants to do what's right, and there's my flesh that's wanting to do what's wrong, and these are at war with one another. Paul would say it differently in Galatians, where he says, you know, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Now, here's again the beautiful thing. Maybe you understand this. 
Maybe you knew this. But if not, let me say it as clear as I can. This is the reality that's present inside of you. And it's really important. It really is important for you to understand. Because in some ways, many people go at it altogether wrong. Some are confused. It's like, well, I thought I was saved. How come there's still a struggle? Others really think that in one sense, they begin to own the struggle. It's like, well, I guess I'm still messed up. I guess I'm still a broken person. And that's not entirely true. You have a new nature. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a new nature that lives to do what's right, loves to do what's right. And if I can say it even in a careful way, that's the real you. That's the eternal you. That's the eternal you that loves righteousness and loves to do God's will. But you have a flesh. And there's a war There's a war that is inside of you, this war that is kind of just taking place that all of us realize, and again, some of you understand it well, but some of you are like, I didn't even, I don't even understand it. It's like, you know, I feel like, you know, just this almost kind of a lunatic sometimes. Like, okay, sometimes I feel good. I mean, how do I figure out what's happening inside of me? No, this is what's happening. But that's exactly the reality that you need to understand as we step into that. Again, there's a whole lot more in that much that you could go deeper, but all of this helps us to understand it is that struggle with our flesh that brings us into this place where what he's going to speak to us this morning about confession, we need to hear, that that's going to draw us to what we are. So again, lots more there, lots more depth that if you're interested, you can go into and just kind of a biblical understanding of these things. But that said, let's dive into the text that's before us. Let's back up a little bit and just begin reading where we were last week, and then we'll work our way into this week. Begin with me in verse 5. It says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin. If, where we pick it up this morning, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Wow. Okay, so he's walking this through this, and the very kind of first statement he says is this thing is, if you look on all of this and everything we're talking about this morning, and if you say, I don't have sin. I mean, I'm not a sinner. In fact, he says it in two ways. You might just notice it in verse 8. If we say we have no sin... You know, if we say that that's, that's not where I am right now, or in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned. Now, John is not really one of those who's kind of building this as a logical thing. It really is a much more poetic feel, so it's probably better just to feel it this way. And in one sense, he's kind of incorporating these two together, saying, if you say, I, I haven't sinned, or I'm not a sinner, and they're kind of two sides of the same thing, he says, here's what you need to understand. If that's what you would declare or say, Four things are are real in in your world. The first is you are lying to yourself. You are lying to yourself. You are deceiving yourself if you say that's true. That's what he said there in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. (laughs) We are lying to ourselves. I mean, this is a pretty powerful way to say it. On top of that, he says, here's the thing. That's not true. 
is not true. You're saying it doesn't make it true. You're believing it doesn't make that possible. You deceive yourself. See, the Bible's calling us to recognize that sin so just permeates our life that in one sense we would recognize that we are sinners. Now, again, for some of us, again, that's, that we just need to kind of get clarity on this because we already talked about it a little bit. You know, it's, it's not just what we do, it's who we are. It, it's, it's that flesh that's a part of us, that, we're, that that's who we are. So that, again, when we're talking about it, we're not just talking about heinous sins, though that's true. You know, sometimes we think, okay, you know, sin, that's, that's when somebody, like, murders somebody or really bad things. But the Bible's really clear. Our problem is bigger than that. In fact, I like the way he says it in Isaiah 64, where he says, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness like filthy rags. He says, here's the problem. We are, we are so tainted by sin that it's not just our bad things, our bad deeds that are sin. Even our good deeds are tainted by it. So that everything that we do, we say is right, that we did a right thing, that's still messed up uh, because our sin does it. And here's the reality. That's the truth. I don't know if you want to hear that. I don't know if you believe that. Again, for some of us, we think, hey, sin, that's when I did something really bad. But then there was the times I did a good thing. Like I washed the dishes after Thanksgiving. It was just great. You know, and I, I, I cleaned up. And, it, and, it's, and you know, it could be a really good thing. But sometimes the reality is it's still permeated by pride. And like, did you notice? You know, did you, did you kind of just see? I mean, it's just like, man, I was trying to do a good thing and even I still messed it up. It's still permeated by that because that's the truth. So the reality is that sin is ever present with us. That it's not just because of the big things that we do wrong. It's, it's this reality so that we cannot say, I have no sin. Like, I'm, I'm not there. He says, if that's what you're saying, you're lying to yourself, it's not true. Pick it up again in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. We basically say, God, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong about me. You know, if I would say such a thing, if I would believe such a thing, it kind of, you know, casts light on God who's telling us, no, you're a, you're, you're a sinner by nature. That's what you were born in. More than that, it would be unbiblical. It would go against his truth. Now, that should be powerful enough. I mean, I don't know if that just kind of works across you right now. I mean, there, he gives us these four things that should decimate this lie. They should say there's no way that that's possible. There's no way that this could be. In fact, you kind of maybe felt it. Again, John is writing, and it's a little bit poetic. It's a little bit of almost a rhyming of thought, and you probably kind of caught it, but I'll just kind of separate these a little bit so you can hopefully see it. So he says, you know, if you believe this, if you say you haven't sinned, you're lying to yourself, and you're calling him a liar. So that at the beginning of verse 8 and the beginning of verse 10, it's like, it's a lie. It's a lie that you believe, and ultimately you're saying that God is the one who's lying. And if you believe this, it's both not true, and it's not what His Word is saying. It's not what His Word declares to us. It cannot be true. So it's a lie that is entirely just against everything that's there, and this should be enough, again, to work against this lie that would work into your life that people would sit there, and, and, and you might be struggling with it, where we'd want to say, well, I don't, I don't think I'm a bad person. I, I mean, I don't, I don't really see myself that way. And the Bible said, no, no, that's not true. If we say we have no sin, we are lying, and, and it must not be that way. Now, if we're in that space, here's what I want to say to you. Two things are either real. Either you are unsaved, or you are backslidden. 
If, you're, if, if you are a person who says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really good. <laughs> I'm really, I, I think I'm, pretty, I'm doing well. I, there's, I'm not really sinning. I'm, uh, I'm doing well. Either you're unsaved, and that might be true here this morning. That right here this morning that you haven't come to an end of yourself. You haven't come to a place where you recognize that there's nothing good in you. That you can't fix yourself. That no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you work, you are never going to fix the sin problem inside of you. And if that's you this day, we, we're just crying out that you would believe it, that the, the lie would be torn off, that the band-aid would be ripped off in that sense and say, you are a sinner. But there's hope there because that's exactly what Jesus fixes. But again, it's not just true for those who are unsafe. Sometimes it can be really backslidden. It's one of those places that is people find themselves pulling back from God. And if you can kind of think about the, the, the way he's working this in 1 John, he says, you know, God is light. He's this bright, shining light, and in that light, it exposes us. But if we begin to pull back from him and we begin to step back into the shadows, we can begin to feel better about ourselves. Like, okay, I'm not a bad person. It's like, but the problem is I'm a distant from God, and that's going to have a, a, just massive consequences, but it, it can happen, but it's a, it's a bad thing. So he's telling us here that should not be. If we would be those who would say this, that would look upon sin and say, I don't think that's about me. That's for somebody else this morning. That's for somebody else that has to deal with that. That's not where I am. If you say that, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. And, and may God rescue you from such a lie, such a lie that would be a place that would keep you from just recognizing what God would work into our lives. Okay, well, let's hold that lie, and now we'll move to the positive side of it. And again, we get to this verse. It tells us in verse 9, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So again, these are like three if statements. You know, you know in verse 8, it's if we say. Verse you know, 10, it's if we say. And here, it's, it's if we confess. If we would come into this and if we would confess our sins. So let's walk around it again. Let's just kind of think about confession. Let's make ourselves understand, okay, what is he talking about? And again, I want to come back to it and say, this isn't about maintaining salvation. This isn't a place where if you don't do this well, that somehow you're going to lose your salvation. Again, what an incredible lie. Again, I know this. I know this because I've talked to some who really have lived their lives this way, who kind of have this, this thought that, you know, um, boy, You've got to be really careful, because if, I, if, I, if I'm doing badly and then I die, I might have lost my salvation. I mean, it's as if somehow your salvation could live on such a, a, a precipice. You know, again, it kind of is built in a little bit into the Catholic faith a little bit, but it's more than that kind of a lie that works itself into our lives. And I just want to tell you, not true, not true. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're really forgiven, and let's say you do have a bad day. You know, one of those days where you like, kick the dog, and yell at the kids, and you just everything bad, and then all of a sudden, you know, you die. It's not like the kind of thing that's like, okay, you just invalidated your salvation, like that really bad last moments kind of undid everything. No, that's not true. I mean, it'd be a really embarrassing way to enter into God's presence, like, you know, right in the middle, kick the dog, and like, oh, hi, Jesus. <laughs> like, that's just so sorry, but that's, I, I know that's not what I wanted to be. I mean, we want to have what the Bible would call an abundant entrance into heaven, where it's like, yes, celebratory. And so again, there, there is that. But again, there is not this place where when he's talking about confession, he's kind of asking you in one sense that if you fail to do this, 
you're going to somehow invalidate your salvation. So not true. So not true. Much needed in that God rescue in far ways than I can. But it is about fellowship. It is about fellowship. So we, we go back and see it. We already saw it, but notice again in verse 6. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him, like, okay, we, 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 if we say, hey, God and I, we're doing really, really good, but you're walking in darkness, you lie. Like, if, that's, if, if you're living a lie and living in this place where you're, you know, kind of walking, this, that's not, you're not practicing the truth. But he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, like we step into this place where we're exposed and our sin is exposed, then we have fellowship. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So there is this place where, again, he's saying it's about this kind of place of us being in fellowship with God, about enjoying his presence, about knowing that, and that's what makes this so necessary, so much a part of our life. In fact, I would go so far as to say that confession, it's not supposed to be um, an every now and then part of your life. I would put to you, I believe, that it's meant to be a constant, even daily place in your life. I think a Christian life who's rightly being lived is doing this every single day. And there's a couple of reasons I can say that. For starters, the word confess, it's not used in the past tense. It's not saying if we confessed our sins. It says if we confess. In fact, it's used in a way that is a constant present tense word. Like if you do this, are doing this, then this is what you're having. So confession is a present tense thing. But on top of that, I think about how Jesus would teach us to do it. One of the things we constantly hold out to you guys is that I think that Jesus has given us a great way to pray. And so we talked about it this morning. We talked about your Bible reading bookmark and if you're reading with us in that. And then we often tell you guys on the back side of it, we simply printed what is the Lord's Prayer. That Jesus, when he was asked, like, teach us to pray, he, he, say, Matthew, he says, Matthew, in this manner, therefore, pray. And I, we've held out to you that this is not meant, I believe, to be a prayer that you just repeat verbatim, but if you would take the Lord's Prayer and pray it subject by subject, you will cover really the entire gamut of things that you should be praying for. I do it every day. I encourage you guys to as well, and if you do that, then every day you will come to the place that you would say, God, I I need your forgiveness. Forgive me. Forgive us. Wash us. God, meet us in this. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. And there's a lot in that second part of it that's important, but not really in focus here in 1 John. So I'm just going to stay in that first part. That there is this place that we are consistently, even daily coming and saying, God, I need your washing. I need your washing. I need your cleansing. We need your cleansing. That that would be a part of our lives. And so again, hear me as clear as I can say that. 1 John 1, 9 should be one of those things that isn't Oh, you know, a couple times a year, I find myself needing to do that. It really should be a daily thing. And again, maybe even a good reason to commit 1 John 1.9 to memory, that even on a daily basis, that you'd be able to say, God, this is what I'm needing to do right now. I'm needing to come in and confess and, and, and recognize and, and, and confess my sins to you and, and find this incredible joy of what you're offering to us. It's meant to be a daily thing. It's meant to be a part of that happening in our lives. Now, as we process that, in one sense, it's worth just quickly saying confession, it is to God, and, and it is also to those who we sinned against. When the Bible talks about confession, it's, again, really, really important that we understand that all sin is against God. All sin is against God. Whether you've done something to somebody else, it's always against God. So it's always something that we're coming before Him and saying, God, I need you. 
to, to, to wash me because I need fellowship with you. But when we think about confession, it is also confessing our sins to one another, that there is a place of that. In fact, I'll give you one of those um, age-old uh, principles that's just worth understanding. Confession should always be as public as the sin. Confession should always be as public as the sin. Again, if it's, if it's not a public sin, it doesn't need to be confessed publicly. But it, to, to, to wherever that happens, it needs to happen, and specifically to those that we've sinned against. I think about what James would tell us. He said, you know, confess your, your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. He says, you need to do this. And so the Bible would call us to say, hey, if I've sinned against somebody, you know, if I, I mean, I need to tell them, hey, I... I confess my sins. I mean, that's part of it. And certainly here in 1 John, when it's talking about confession, it includes that. That confession is this place of acknowledging our sin before God, but again, making sure we kind of write that with people because all of this flows in the midst of that. Now, there's a bunch, bunch more in that, but I'll leave that, but I felt it was important enough to say. But let's come back to how do you do this? It's meant to be daily. It's meant to be a part of that. We're, We're meant to confess But one of the things I want you to process through with me for a moment is that confession, in its essence, is an agreement with God about sin. It's agreeing with Him about sin. This word that's used for confession here in 1 John 1, 9 is the Greek word homologeo. And and it's a way of saying, you know, to say the same thing. To to say, I confess, it's, it's a way of saying, God, you and I agree about this. We, we're, we're, you know, I'm saying the same thing that you're saying about my sin. I'm seeing it the same way. Now, why I want you to understand that is I want you to understand that confession is not necessarily crossing off every sin that you've sinned. Now, don't hear me wrongly. It's not wrong to do that. It's not wrong to, to go before God and say, God, I'm, I'm so sorry. Forgive me for kicking the dog, you know, just, I, you know, sorry. You, you can do that. I mean, it's totally fine to, to do that. But what I need you to understand is neither is that necessarily what he's saying. Again, for some of you, again, you're going to have to process this through because when we say confession, again, maybe it's because of your upbringing, maybe, again, kind of maybe some Catholic understanding in the midst of it. And so when we say confession, you kind of picture this little confessional booth and you're like, you got to go in there and you got to tell, you know, this priest all that you did so that he can kind of, you know, kind of cross off every one of those sins. And if you don't confess each sin, it doesn't get crossed off. But I want to tell you, that's not the way the Bible holds confession to us. The Bible doesn't teach us necessarily to do that for a lot of reasons. For one, you would never be able to fully accomplish that list. I mean, because sin is, again, not just the big things that you saw. It's everything you do. And, and I mean, if you had to cross every sin off, there's not any one of us that go, I did it. I like crossed them all off. You'd never be able to do that. Instead, so often when the Bible holds to us what confession looks like, it's simply an agreement. Hey, can I give you a couple examples? So one of my favorite is, of course, in the Old Testament, David's sin. I say favorite. That's that's a weird way to say that when I think about that because it's one of the most tragic situations in the Old Testament. David, this man of God, a man after God's own heart, he sins horribly. He sins horribly. If you know the story, uh, David has this 
terrible space in life where he fails to walk as a king. He lusts after another man's wife. He commits adultery with her. Uh, She gets pregnant in order to try to hide it. He schemes and ultimately kills this this woman's husband to kind of cover up his sin. It's a horrendous, horrible moment. But David won't acknowledge it. He is doing exactly what it said there in verse 8. He is not acknowledging his sin. He is not acknowledging before God that he sinned. And so God sends to him his friend Nathan. And Nathan comes to him and tells him this incredible story. And at the end of the story, he just simply says, you're the man that sinned. David, you've sinned. David, you're the one that has rebelled against God. You're the one that's done the wrong thing. And as that washes over David, it gives it to us in the next verses. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Now, did you catch it? David confessed his sins. I've sinned against the Lord. David did not go through and give a litany of all of his sins. I mean, they would have been a lot. Like, okay, I failed to do what God called me to do. I didn't go out. I wasn't leading as a king to battle. Then I lusted. Then I pursued that. Then I committed adultery. And then I tried to hide it. And then I, you know, conceived a, you know, a plot against a man. Then I killed him. I mean, there's a long list of things that went into David's sin. But he doesn't go and list all of those here. Instead, he just looks and says, God, I sinned against you. I have done what is wrong. And Nathan says, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Like, you know, the the Lord has has put away your sin. And, And it wasn't a place where he had to go through and cross every one of them off. He had to come and recognize without any excuse, without, it's like, God, I've, I've, I've totally blown this. Again, we get another example of the same one when David writes about this forgiveness in Psalm 51. I won't give you the whole psalm, though it's worthy of your pursuit and in your own space. But he begins it and says, have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. So David's asking for exactly what 1 John is holding out to us, that we could be washed, that we could be forgiven, and he just begins to say what he's done. He says, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. The word acknowledge is in the Hebrew, but in many ways, it's the same idea of confession. I admit it. I confess it. I say it's true. I say it's true of me. God, I've sinned. I admit my transgressions. I, my sin, I feel it. I feel it in my life, but God, it's against you. And you only I have sinned. I've done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. God, I've sinned. And you saw me. I did it before your eyes. I sinned against you. So strong was that if you judge me on the basis of this, I'm done. I don't have any hope. I don't have any hope in that because I, this is what I am. I'm owning who I am. And again, this is his place of confession. But again, it's not a place where he's, you know, trying to remember everything. Okay, I did this, and then I did this, and then I did this, and oh yeah, there was that, and then there was this. And again, for some of you, that's kind of how you think about confession. Now, please, again, don't misunderstand. You can do that sometimes. Sometimes you feel like you need to. Like, God, I need to tell you I did this. But confession is more than that. Confession is coming and saying, God, it's, I sinned. I sinned against you. You saw it. You saw everything that's there. And I'm just going to say it's wrong. I'm just going to say it's wrong. I'm going to say that's who I am. I think that's a great example. Let me give you another. 
Jesus in explaining some of this in uh, Luke 18 tells a story. It's just two men went up the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood there and prayed thus with himself. One of my favorite little statements, like he's just talking to himself. It looks like he's praying, but he's not actually praying because he's just talking to himself. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this tax collector, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I possess. I mean, God, look at me, I'm a pretty good person. God, I thank you that I'm so good. I'm so much better than other people. I'm just so glad that that's who I am. And God, you should be proud to have me kind of deal. I mean, it's kind of this weird moment. But then Jesus says, the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I'm a sinner. I just need your mercy. God, be merciful to me. That's where I am. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He says, if we come into this place where you could say, okay, God, I, I am. I'm a sinner. I mean, I'm, I'm going to come and own that. I'm going to come and say, I've sinned against you. I'm coming to recognize that. I'm coming in to, to see that. And I'm just telling you that that's what's so very needed. So when the Bible's calling you to confess your sins, it's not necessarily saying you need to try to remember everything that you've done wrong. Though again, not bad if you do some of that. Because some days if you do that, you'll get to the end of it like, okay, it was a pretty good day, God. I didn't kick the dog today. It's a really good day. Kind of count that as a, a, a win. But I'm telling you, you still need to confess. You still need to come and say, God, I, I'm a sinner. My flesh is still ever present with me that even the good things that I've tried to do have been marred by my flesh. God, I need to come in and confess. I need to come in and just say, God, this is where I stand. I stand in this place of, uh, of consistently and always needing your mercy and grace. And, and to embrace that, it becomes a powerful thing and a constant reality that's meant to be a part of our lives with absolutely no excuses, by the way. Much could be said about this, but one of the things that makes confession confession is there is no blaming. It's always the nature of sin to kind of want to do even what Adam and Eve started in the very garden. You know, in that place, it's like, you know, where God's like, so what have you done to Adam? It's like, uh, it's the woman. <laughs> like, like, it's her fault. You know, like, I wouldn't, I, mean, you know, I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for her. And that's the world you live in. You live in a world that it's easy to blame other people. It's not really my fault. It's not really my fault. I mean, I'm really a pretty good person. It's just, they pushed me. I mean, they just, I mean, you just have no idea the people I work with. I mean, they just really get to me sometimes. They push me. I mean, it's, it's this COVID world that's driving me crazy. It's this other person. It's my culture that's making me bad. I'm actually a really good person. It's not my fault that I do these things. And that's the world you live in that wants to blame the culture or blame another person. And yet what confession does is because I'm the problem. You know what's wrong with the world? Me. Like, I, you know, I, I, could, I could mess it up all by myself. I mean, it's, it's not just our world. I'm the problem. Lord, it's me that's the problem. It's not somebody else. It's not somebody else's fault that I am the way I am. It's, it's fully on me. And that powerful confession is a place where we'd come in and say, hey, that is exactly what I need to do that I'm needing to be in this place where I'm recognizing this is who I am. Now, failure to do this, failure to confess, cuts off fellowship. And again, hear me as clear as I can. 
if you're not walking in this reality, confessing your, 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 your just desperate need for Jesus all the time, it's not like you're losing your salvation every other day. That would be really scary. I hope you don't live that way. I know that some of you do a little bit, and just God would rescue you from that. That's not true. But it does cut off fellowship. There's no way to have fellowship with him if you're walking in that space. It's not a hard illustration, but think it through with me, especially some of you who are parents and maybe doing family at least somewhat well in the midst of this. You could understand how this works, right? So let's say you're raising your, your, your child, and then they happen to do something really, really wrong. I mean, like they have a bad day. They kick the dog. <laughs> they yell at everybody. They're still in somebody else's toys, so you have to kind of discipline them. And, and, and then you end up saying, okay, well, you know, no dinner, go to your room. Hopefully that didn't happen on Thanksgiving, but let's just say, so you, okay, you're going to go up to your room, or you're going to sit in the corner, and if you could look in on that moment, you would understand. Sin has messed up fellowship. They would, we'd be able to sit down at the table together, we'd be able to enjoy one another right now, and we can't, because they've walked in rebellion, and, and, and maybe not even owning it, not even dealing with it in, in a right way, so they're living in that rebellion but it isn't the kind of place that all of a sudden they're no longer family. I mean, it's not the kind of place where you're like, I sold them on the internet. I know some of you thought about it, but you know what I'm saying? It's not like, you know, it's like, it's like hey, they're still family. They're still my kids, you know, but this is just a place that because rebellion and they won't kind of get it made right, it's just cut us off right now. It's just cut us off in a space where it's impossible to have fellowship with God and not recognize your sinful place of needing his mercy. You cannot have it. You cannot have it. It cannot be there. And again, that's just important for us to understand and say, okay, we're, we're getting a, at least hopefully a glimpse of what we need and why this is so difficult. And in one sense, what makes it so bad? I think about it when David sinned. And we talked about it a moment ago. That So David did all these horrendous things. But on top of it, he hides it. In fact, if we understand it well, it was almost a year almost a year that he lives in this place where he's sinned against God and he's not dealing with it. He's not, not owning it, not confessing it before God, not being made right. And, and in that space, finally Nathan comes and busts the bubble and tells him you're a sinner, and, and he finally confesses and, and he's forgiven. But David would look back upon that space that he, between where he was walking in rebellion and, and not confessing his sin, and he describes it in Psalm 32 this way. He says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. He says, as I was going through this place, as that's where I was, and I wasn't owning my sin, I wasn't dealing with it, it's like it sucked the life out of me. It turned my life into a drought, turned my soul into a desert. It turned my life into a place that I just felt old, I felt just, just like life just being pulled out of me. But then he says, when I acknowledge my sin and, and, and my iniquity, I've not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He says, when I finally said, okay, yes, that's who I am. That's what I've done. He, he found forgiveness. And so he lets us know what a horrendous place this is, this, this place of failing to do this. And again, what horrendous space that is. And some of you might be in that space right now. I mean, just be as clear as I can. Some of you, you are saved, but you have gotten into a place that you're walking in rebellion, you haven't for, you know, recognized it, you haven't confessed it, and you're at this distant place right now, and he's just saying, hey, the need to recognize, the need to see 
what that looks like and, and, and to find the beauty of that. So let's think about it again. So he's telling us, if you say, hey, that's not me, I'm, I'm not a sinner, you're lying. You're lying to yourself, you're saying God's a liar. But if you confess it, if you confess it, if you come in and say, it's me, I'm the problem, I recognize that, notice with me again what he says. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is this one who forgives and cleanses us. Now, this is so incredibly good, so incredibly amazing. Hear it as clear as you can. He says, as he's thinking about what he's offering, as he begins by just saying, he is faithful. You understand faithful, right? It's not a hard word for, to understand. It means trustworthy. Like, you could count on it. Yeah, you know, you, you, when you say something's faithful, it always happens. It's as faithful as the morning, you know, coming up, or the sun dawning in the morning kind of deal. God always does this. He is faithful. He, he never, you know, you have bad days. He never does. You know, if you confess your sins, it's never going to be like where he's going to be like, ah, I just didn't feel like doing it today. Just didn't feel like it, you know. Thought about forgiving your sin yesterday, just now I don't feel like it. No, he's always faithful. He, his faithfulness is, is fresh and new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. There's this incredible space of just recognizing that God is faithful, but he is also just. It says he is faithful and just, and there's a whole lot in this, but righteous and right in the way he does with this. In very quick measure, this is the cross. This is the cross. When God forgives sins, it's not this kind of place where he is making light of sin, where he's just like, yeah, you're fine. You know, this isn't kind of like the grandparent kind of thing, right? I'm a grandparent now, so I can kind of understand this a little bit. Where in some senses, you can be like, oh, they're, they're, they're good. <laughs> like, it's, you know, you just kind of like, just, you know, it's like, no, how do you rightly look at sin and say it's bad, it's destructive, it's horrendous, and yet bring in forgiveness? And that's the cross. And God, God does this in perfect justice. When he brings in forgiveness, it is never making light of sin, it is never in a way that downplays sin. It never moves it from that. It's always in a place that recognizes it, but perfectly deals with it. And that is just profound. I mean, I just want to tell you tons of stuff in that, but it is incredibly good. It would take us too much to go there, so I'll leave that and just now just talk about what it does. So he's faithful, he is just, and he would forgive us to forgive us of our sins. He says he would do this. I love the way God describes forgiveness in the Old Testament. In that well-known verse in Psalm 103, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. When God forgives, he says, you know, it's gone. It, it, you know, how far gone? As far as the east is from the west, like as far as it could go, as far as it could go, it is gone. Forgiveness really is forgiveness with God. It really is a place where he says, okay, I, you know, if we confess that, he would forgive it. He would no longer, you know, kind of have that hanging over our lives, no longer see that as a part of who we are. And with that, he says he would cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that he would wash us and so that we are clean. And again, just hear me. This is amazing. All is all. All is all. Now, again, if, if sin had to be something that you had to cross off every sin, like you had to remember everything you've done and understand it, you will never get to all. 
But if it's this place where you can come in and say, God, I'm going I'm to fully own it. Like, I'm a problem. My, my flesh in me, in my flesh is nothing good. God, I'm going to fully own that problem. He doesn't just forgive some. He forgives it all. He, he cleanses it all. It, all is all. All is amazing. All is all gone. All is totally clean. All is so amazingly good and right and beautiful and amazing that he would cleanse us from all that's there. And I just need you to understand that this forgiveness is absolutely amazing. That is, it is so much more than words I could say. It's so better than I could even communicate to you. I just want to tell you it's amazing. David, as he talked about it in his own life from Psalm 32, and we jumped into the middle of the psalm a moment ago, but I just want to take you to the first verses of it. He says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. He uses this word blessed, and it's one of these fun words that in the Bible has the idea of overwhelming joy. Oh, how happy. Oh, how happy. Oh, how joyful is the person who is forgiven, who God would say your sin is covered, who doesn't impute iniquity. This word impute, it's worth you just understanding for a moment. It has the idea of kind of a logical thought or even a balance on a balance sheet kind of thing that he no longer imputes that. He no longer looks and looks at you with that hanging over your head. That he no longer, when he forgives, he doesn't do this. But here, I mean, I'm just, some of you get this, some of you, and if you could get this, you're like, wow, that is so good. That is so incredibly joyful. But some of you have a really hard time believing this. Like, even though you confess that you're, you're, God, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. I'm not blaming anybody else. I'm the problem. God, I've sinned against you. You still have a hard time believing he doesn't see you in light of your failures. Some of you, I mean, there, there are sins that are hanging over you that are five years, 10 years, 20 years ago. But to this day, you're convinced that when God looks at you, he's like, I remember what you did. I know you. I know what you are. I, 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 I have not forgot. You kind of feel that. You, I mean, that's kind of how you see. You're, you're like, okay, he just knows me. And just probably, he's always like, you know, you're like a second you know, hand. You know, now you're like second level child of God because I know. And, and yet God said, I, if I forgive you, I, I forgive you. And I wash it clean. All. I mean, it's, it's, it's clean. It's gloriously, beautifully, so he no longer imputes to us. He no longer looks at us with that way. He no longer sees us that way. That that forgiveness, it is more beautiful and more amazing than than any of us could ever get close to. And for some of us this morning, that's what we need to convince ourselves of. Back, let's come back to it and think about it this way. So again, this isn't a complicated, it's not, you know, there, there's incredible depth to it, yes, but in some ways it's so simple. And he gives us these three thoughts that kind of just hold out to us. And I just want to ask you, because see, here's the deal. You're in one of these places, probably. Probably everybody in this room is in one of the places that you're, that you're needing to grow in one of these three areas. And so my question to you, again, is, is in the simple way is, which one are you? Where, where are you? Again, for some of you, you're in that first place, that you're, th- that you're just still struggling. 
that you aren't admitting that you're, that, that you're a sinner, that sin is the problem, and that you're the problem. Again, for somebody here this morning, maybe in this room, maybe online, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and this is the problem. You still don't believe it. You still don't believe that your sin has, has condemned you. You still believe the lie that is this lie of the world that I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good person. I mean, it's my world. It's, you know, you know, give me a right situation. If I could be in a better economic or social situation, um, I would do well because I'm, really I'm really a nice person. I mean, really, I am. And you are in a place that you haven't believed the, the, the truth yet. And maybe that's kept you from believing in Jesus. And he's working to draw you to this. He's working to draw you to the place that you would say, God, there's nothing in me. There's nothing in me. I, I, have, I have no merit of my own that I can hold to. I, I, you know, it's not that I just need a little bit of help for salvation. I need, I need the whole deal because I'm a sinner. I, I'm a sinner through and through. And if that's you this morning, we're pleading that you would come and believe that. Again, for somebody here this morning, you are a believer, but still this lie permeates your life so much that it's keeping you back from where God has you because you won't believe it. You still won't fully recognize, hey, this is who you are. And so I'm telling you, if this is you, you, you need to recognize how wrong that is. If you find yourself in this category, you're lying to yourself. But it's worse than that. You're telling God he's lying. You're saying, God, you, you're, you're not true because you don't know me. But if this is true, that's true. So some of you need to come to this place of just saying, okay, I am this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to recognize that. And that would draw you to that place of confession. And it's kind of an odd thing because as freeing as this verse is, it's incredibly unnerving to really come here. It really is. Again, I, I hope you understand what I'm saying. So if you get this whole picture, he tells us there, you know, in, the, in, the, in, in verse 6 and 7 and in the midst of that, he says, okay, if, we, if we're stepping into the light as he is in the light, you know, that, that we would have fellowship with him and the blood of Christ would cleanse us from our sin, which is amazing. But it is that stepping into the light that's so incredibly uncomfortable. Because if you step towards this, it's going to undo everything that you are. And it's a weird space. There is this self-protective um, place that sometimes keeps us from owning this. And I just want to call you to it. I want to call you to say, hey, this is a place you need to come. In fact, it is one of those pernicious lies that we've talked about already. We talked about it in kind of our introduction to 1 John. That we said one of those weird lies that seems to permeate our world is that people just, they don't believe this. They don't believe this about themselves, and they don't believe it about everybody. And so they really begin to come to church, and they begin to think church is a place where nice people come to be nice. You know, good people come to be good. That's what you do. You come and kind of show off. And, and, and they begin to just have this understanding that that's what it is. And they think that's, and so that you come to church thinking that. But part of the problem is that you know you're not that person. You, you know in one sense, I, you know, I'm, these people are so good and they're so nice. And boy, if they knew me, they wouldn't let me in the door kind of thing you think. And so you find yourself playing a game, pretending to be something that you're not. Like, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm so good. God, it's great, me, that's me, who I am, and you're living a lie that's only messing it up. Instead of coming and saying, I confess, I confess, I'm a sinner, but you know what, so are all of you, that when I come in to pray, as Jesus taught me to pray, God, would you forgive us our sins? 
God, because I'm in a bunch of sinners. I'm in a bunch of people, and we need your forgiveness. Like, that is what we come together as a church of people desperately needing the mercy and grace of God. And, and, and I, and I want to embrace both that in my life, but ours. It becomes a powerful reality of, of entering into that. And I'm just telling you, it is that. It's a good place to come, to, to come into this place where you consistently, daily, just allow God to, to, to bring in that brokenness, to say it, but to let him show you. And it's devastating. I mean, if I, I wish I could say it better, but that place of God really showing us that this is true, it's not a, necessarily a fun place. Not like, it's just so much fun to realize that I'm such a problem. Like, it's just, it's like, it's not. It, 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 it cuts against everything that I am, but it's so good. It is so good to come in and do that and to make that a part of your life. So some of you, that's where you are. I mean, you're just in this place that you're struggling with confessing to, to making that a part of your life. And if today that's where you need to come, then come. But for some of you, the first two are not a problem. You, you're like, oh no, I'm, I'm a sinner. <laughs> like, you know, I, I'll tell anybody, like, I, I, you know, I know that I'm the problem, you know, that, that you, know, you know, I could break the whole world, you know, start all over. I mean, I know that in me and my flesh is no good thing, and you don't have any problem with that. In fact, you, you confess that. You, you pray that, and, and, you, and you're in that space that that's a part of your life, and that's a good thing. But for some of you, the problem is you don't believe what God said he would do. You don't believe. Re- you don't really believe that he says, if you do that, I'll forgive you, and I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Because see, for some of you, 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 you kind of get the first part of that and you're like, you know, and I, I just think that God holds it against me. I think that I'm still there. I still think that I'm still dirty. I still think that my sin still hangs on me. I still don't recognize that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from my sin so that now I'm clean. And I'm just telling you, there is joy, unspeakable joy held before some of you, if you could believe it. If you could believe that Jesus came to die on the cross and that the blood of Jesus Christ could cleanse you so that you could be clean, that you could be joyfully, amazingly forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness. I mean, that is such an amazing place. And David said, oh, how happy. Oh, how happy are those who recognize that was me. And he forgave me. I mean, that was me. And, I'm, and, and he has washed me. And, and what an incredible joy to embrace that. And again, that's what he's telling us in this whole space. In fact, you might just back up to it and just notice. He says there in verse 4, he says, And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. He's like, I want you to have all this. I want you to have this fellowship with God. Because if you can get this, it'll be amazing. It'll be amazing. It'll be joyful it'll be rescuing. So again, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow. You can close your Bibles, your notebooks, and whatever you have open right now, and let's just go before Him in prayer. Maybe it's you this morning that needs, again, to come to this place of admitting you're a sinner and and to be forgiven and come to him. In this next moment, we invite you to do that. 
Many of you, you are his. And, and I just, again, ask you to find yourself in the list. Which one are you needing to grow in today? Which one of these would you say, that's the part that I'm struggling with? Either I'm not admitting I'm a sinner, or I'm failing to confess it, or I don't believe that he really forgives. I mean, I read it, but I have a hard time embracing that he is as good as he says he is. And if that's you, then just come to it and ask him for help. But believe him because he's telling you the truth. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So wherever that's met you this morning, would you take a moment just to talk to him about that quietly? I'll do the same, and then we'll close together in worship in just a moment. God, this morning, I want to thank you for forgiveness, spoken of all the way through your word, what you are, what you would accomplish, and yet so well encapsulated here in 1 John 1, 9. So I simply hold it before you. You said, if we confess our sins, and God, I just want to come and do that. Just want to admit to you, we don't want to be those who hold to that lie and say we are not sinners or we haven't sinned because that'd be a lie. We come and confess, Lord. We, we are those who have sinned. We are sinners by nature, our flesh born in sin, and it still stays with us. It still touches everything in every part of our lives. And so, Lord, we just come and confess it, recognize, Lord, the problem with the world, it's me. It's in my heart. Lord, it, I, I look and just confess that we have sinned against you, sinned in your eyes. Lord, we confess this morning that we are sinners. I confess this morning that I am. And yet, Lord, I just want to believe you that the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for paying for the price. And I believe that you are as faithful as you speak of it in this verse, that if we own this, if we come and confess to you, that you would forgive us, that our sin would be cast away as far as the east is from the west, that you would wash us and make us clean. God, how much we need that. And so I'm praying for that right now and believing that that's true and, and crying out that you'd help us to believe it with incredible joy that we'd be able to recognize what forgiveness is and no longer those things remaining. God, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. Wash us. 
Wash us this morning and make us clean. We ask for that together, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May God meet you in that. May He cause that just to be real in your life, even a consistent part of your life. Hey, if you need to talk to someone after this, we'd love to do that. Uh, if you want to come to Christ, we'd love to pray with you. But right now, we want to just give you an opportunity to close in worship. So why don't you stand? <coughs> and we want to just worship the Lord this morning, longing that He would meet us. So I just want to bless you in His name. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face. Shine upon you and give you grace. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.